0: Oh, yes. This is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. And today's show, sponsored by Cheshire Impact, on a mission to help people maximize their use of Pardot and Salesforce. CheshireImpact.com. And we're live, just like that. I love clicking that record button launch another show. But I got to tell you what, I am not going to introduce the guest live like I normally do because there's something special here. I just got finished having a great conversation with uh, a good friend, an amazing marketer, and an amazing sales leader as well, Daryl Prale. He is the new CRO at Vanilla Soft. And, and his story is that he actually uh, when we first met, and you may remember him because he was on the podcast previously and we'll link to his his first uh, conversation, his first uh, podcast interview in the show notes. But when I first talked to Daryl, he was the CMO at VanillaSoft, And just recently, he actually became the CRO, which means he actually runs marketing and sales. And to a, he has experience in both, but to come at that from being the, the marketer um, is a pretty powerful statement. And he actually detailed in the conversation. It was a, it was a webinar we just did, um, but it, there was no slides to it. So I wanted what I wanted to do was is get the, that conversation up on this podcast. And I hope it's okay. If you hate it, tweet me that you hate it, so at least I know and I won't do it again. But if you love it, do the same because one of the things I, I basically just interviewed Daryl for about an hour and and change, and we talked about things like. BDR, the challenges sales faces, frustrations, marketing, tech stack, aligning that, aligning sales and marketing. And now he's the guy. He is the alignment of sales and marketing. And so we had a really good time talking about that. Um, he's a funny guy. He made fun of me constantly. I felt like it was a podcast, and we had people live there. So you'll hear in the recording me um, bringing up a question that maybe someone asked. I might ask people to type questions, um, and hopefully that doesn't bother you. But I just really the The thing about this conversation that I wasn't even aware of is just how he did this. And it wasn't some Game of Thrones craziness. There was really three or four practical steps that uh, Daryl took in the CMO spot, in the marketing role, to claim back some power from sales. Because sometimes sales has the upper hand in the competition of sales and marketing. He actually aligned them and got the upper hand, not in a bad way, but to be able to be a part of the whole process. And half of that was because he was compensated on sales metrics. And so he he cared and he was like, hey, there's something going on here. And he was able to call attention to it. Um, I don't want to say much more other than uh, enjoy, take a listen to this, uh, this little bit of a different podcast, but it still it is just me learning from Daryl. Um, if you're interested about more of his life story, he is the, Chess master marketer, and it's actually a really cool story. So check out his previous podcast if you don't already know him. But uh, without further ado, uh, Daryl Prale, my good buddy, um, CRO, and uh, uh, really someone that I look up to. All right, we're live. This is not your average webinar. This is going to be a fun conversation. I've got the amazing Daryl Prale here. I'm going to introduce him in just a second. He is a CRO. We are talking all about aligning sales and marketing but without the fluff, without the hot air, no hurricanes, no fires. We're going to get right to it. It's all about maximizing revenue by aligning sales and marketing in the tech stacks. We're into the tech as well. And we've got a lot of people joining us here live who will be asking questions, saying random things and being a part of this. So if you can make it next time, join us live. Otherwise, um, great to see you in the recording. If you have any questions, you can't ask them live. You can email me Casey at cheshireimpact.com. It will get you an answer. Topics today are going to include a bunch of different things. We have the challenges that sales faces, frustrations from marketing, where BDRs and SDRs fit. Why do they even have different names like that? Are they the same thing or not? We're going to get into that. The tech stack for revenue operations is not the sales operations, the marketing, it's revenue operations. We're going to talk about that. Reaping the reward of aligned technology. We'll talk products. Live Q&A at the end, if we haven't already obliterated all your questions before then. And with that, we are going to get started. I am Casey Cheshire, everyone. Welcome. We're going to get started with a quick poll. Um, right after this, the, um, the goal here today is to discuss the challenges that both sales and marketing are facing and get some practical tips and some advice and some strategies, some tactics to address them. Q&A is at the end, but we'll ask our questions throughout. And with that, I am joined today by a 2020 top 10 SaaS branding expert. Top 19 B2B marketer to follow, sales world top 50 keynote speaker, podcaster, number one CRO on the planet, my friend, Daryl Prale at Vanilla Soft. How are you, man? Casey, I got to hire you as my publicist. You're awesome. What do they call that? Am I your front man? I'm your... um... The guy, I'm your hype. I'm your hype guy. The,
1: you're a hype guy. You're, hype you're, man. I don't need a wingman. I got that part taken care of already. No, I'll my wife would not and, be happy if I had a wingman. But yeah, you could be my front man.
0: Yeah, I'll be your front man. I'll I'll be like Bob. Hype and man. Like, Logan says hype man. Here he is. Hype man. Yeah, there it is. Logan would know. Logan knows things. Logan um, knows everything. Well, dude, I'm glad you're here. We wanted to get into this. Um, there's a lot of different things to say, a lot of different things to do. But I want to start out because we've got some amazing people here live. Kelly, Brandy, Katie, Lacey. Oh, good to see you, Lacey, you snuck in. You snuck in after the bell, but that's cool. I'm glad you're here. So one of the things I wanna do is um, pull the audience real quick. What is your biggest challenge with sales and marketing? And allow panelists to vote. Biggest challenge with sales and marketing, because, and this is important, if you are here and you're here live, utilize this thing and vote so that we can customize our conversation, some of our Biggest challenge
1: topics. with sales and marketing. Yes. Oh my goodness! Uh... And if
0: you don't have, if you don't have a, a, it doesn't say your favorite. It says your biggest challenge. So in, in, one of the answers at the bottom is none, like that doesn't fit. In which case, you, you just click that and you say your actual, what your actual answer is in the chat. That's the way to do that. And the options are, uh, for those listening at home, on your TVs, defining the marketing qualified lead. That's a that's a big one. Lead follow up communication yeah we're gonna have to do some sales and marketing venus and mars type conversations here our teams are aligned but our technology platforms aren't aligning on a shared goal none of the above i'll write my answer in the chat okay anyone else Now's your chance and if you did select none and a few of you have done that do write that in the chat We'll go with that all right ending the poll let's see what we got here let's share the results we have uh, who wins none of the above wins it so hit up the chat and when you do the chat make sure you change it to say all panelists and attendees so everyone can see your answer um so go ahead and write those i see one of them uh katie says clarity on mqls and sqls need to evolve um to suit the near and long-term needs of the business i love that i want to address that Uh, we also have allied on shared goals and communication so a lot of good stuff um daryl you also said uh none creating content to support the buyer's journey throughout the full funnel for each industry targeted each persona involved in the sales cycle yeah yeah we got some big challenges around these topics so with that i want to pass it to you sir you've seen you've seen some of the pe- the challenges people are answering you've had it added your own in there we've got challenges we've got a lot of challenges hey, and you can't just fix them all overnight. How do you wrap your head around the fact that we've got all these two different organizations and we're trying to align all these things and we've got all these problems bubbling up?
1: Well, that's, that's, that's just, so you just start off with a small question. So yeah. that's good. That's good. That way we can ease ourselves into it. I like Meeting that. of one.
0: life is next.
1: Yeah, there we go. Okay, no problem. It was actually interesting. You know, when you put the poll out there, and folks, I'm like you, I have no idea what the, that there's going to be a poll and what it's going to be. So my answer was genuine, it was real time. And candidly, I had to really think about that because I've been in the CRO role now a whopping um, two and a half months going on three months. Um, I'm feeling pretty good that I'm going to survive beyond the first 90 days. Yay me. Um, but the, one of the, the, one of the, one of the first benefits of being a CRO CRO was that I was able to start putting a lot of these issues to bed uh, because now I, you know, I control both teams. Um, but if I step back three months ago to my was CMO, Uh, we had, we had issues and I I think what it was, it wasn't bad in our case because the first part, the reason it wasn't bad in our case is because I'm old, I'm old enough to know how to preempt it, which is, you know, as soon as I came on to go over the role, I sat down with my VP of sales and I actually created a service level agreement and we mm-hmm. both signed off on it, as did the CEO who was deemed the arbiter in case of a issue that we could not resolve ourselves. And that defined a variety of things, right? That, you, know, so you think about the common problems you have. Um, marketing will say, I make you great leads and you don't follow up on it. Sales will say, your leads suck. Uh, finance may come in and say, there's no ROI in the marketing spend. And marketing will say, well, because sales sucks at closing, and it's not my fault. You can't. I gave a. I gave an MQL. Hence, go okay. back to the first part about defining what a lead is and getting both parties to agree to it. Um, so, a big part of the SLA is just that: what is a lead? How is it defined? Does everybody agree to it? And that is your MQL definition. But then it doesn't stop there, right? So most people say that's it. And it's, it's MQL marketing sun goes over to sales. No, it doesn't work that way. You've also got to define what is an SQL so that both sides are in agreement. So getting that lead definition is massive. Uh, the next thing is content. What are the content expectations, all right, in both sides? What can they do based on budget and resources and what does sales truly need? Top of funnel, bottom of funnel. Uh, next part is sales methodology, right? So marketing's default behavior in most cases is just to do up and typical demand generation. We're gonna spam our target industries yeah, we'll target based on company size and revenue or employee or industry or title, but that's it. And the reality is, you know, if you've got a sales organization that's, you know, ABM centric, account-based, verticals, et cetera, it's a whole different definition. So what is the content that I need by industry, you know, for each step of the sales funnel? When do I need it? Do we have agreed upon timelines? You know, what's the who's the target persona? What are the measurable outcomes? Why is it going to overcome that? But to make that content, marketing needs to know about what objections or what challenges they're getting from the sales side when they're in the active sales cycle. So that means we need to agree on not just the lead, but the ICP, the ideal customer profile. So let's agree on our ICP, write that down. And then there's an agreement on ongoing communication back that sales is hearing back to marketing so that we can then refine our campaigns, refine our content. All of that goes into the SLA. CEO's got to sign off on it. And there's gotta be consequences. So, for example, if marketing's making a lead, then sales needs to follow up on that lead within an hour, right? So someone fills yeah. out a form and you know, my marketing automation platform deems it MQL for whatever reason, boom, off it goes to sale. And you got one hour. That's an example of a commitment. How many attempts am I gonna make? Two attempts or three attempts, which is what sales normally does. Am I gonna make seven or 12? I mean, Bridge Group says it's 9.2 attempts. Our study that we did with University of Ottawa on 130 million sales transactions says it's over 12 attempts that are required on average, depending on your industry. So, persistency, is that in the SLA? You gotta have all that. You do that, and your life will be great. The reality is though, Casey, most people don't do that. Um, and, And we haven't even talked about the tech stack and the operations.
0: Well, it, we definitely want to get into that, into tech, because we had some great comments about, by the way, some great comments saying like, where's my boss was here? Like, cool, we'll yeah. be recording. Hello, bosses. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, but that being said, the, so this SLA, I mean, I've heard of SLAs, but I always thought of them as individual agreements on each one of these individual items. But this sounds like a Magna Carta, like almost like a, Magna Carta. a, a yeah. treaty amongst nations. That's you exactly know? what it is,
1: right? So yeah. why do you have a treaty? It's, I mean, think about okay, classic. Why do we have the World Trade Organization? Because right. in two countries, I'm in Canada, Casey, you're in the US, when we agree, disagree on dairy, we disagree in softwood, whatever it might be maple syrup. And, we, and we're like, bah! we go to the WTO and they have an independent panel and they make a decision based on the terms of the trade agreements that they have. That's exactly what it is.
0: Yeah. You know, and I was in a group, um, like a volunteer group, and it's kind of like herding cats and so one of the things we had is this little mini group constitution which i always thought was kind of silly until a conflict arose that was like oh one of our members now has to either pay money or like it wasn't really covered in the constitution so there was a gap and it really almost broke the whole group up because it wasn't written down in that thing so yes it like a war like it prevents yes people take sides
1: right and and that's bad right that breaks up the functional, the group is no longer functional. And in the original mandate, you had to come together in the first place is out the door because you're all taking partisan sides. It's no different than in a well-run company, HR will give every employee a handbook. Well, the handbook, you you know, most employees think, oh, this is to tell me about whatever, you know, benefits I might have or vacation policies or what
0: What I can't do on a company trip. Yeah. (laughs)
1: What I can, I can't do on a company trip. But it also goes to things like social media and everything else. So the point is, if if your if your manager accuses you of, uh, of bad behavior, whatever that might be, you both together go to the, as well as if HR gets involved. You go to the company handbook. What does the handbook say? That's that. If it's not in the handbook, you're off the hook. We need to update the handbook. If it is in the handbook, you did it or you didn't. Away we go.
0: So so this this is agreement. I mean, how long did it take you to do that? Because this sounds long. It's not but long and like you know, honestly plan too. Yeah, I mean, this is
1: this is something you can do over email for the most. You get together for an hour and say, "Yeah, we're going to do. What are the talking points we want to cover up?" Like I kind of just did MQL, SQL, you know, speed, delete, persistency, you know, lead definition, you know, whatever, all that kind of stuff. And then you can just you can hammer that out if you have two parties that are intentionally trying to achieve that Middle East Accord. <laughs> um, that it doesn't actually take long because they're not unreasonable. I mean, you, you probably do this now, right? You probably already say what is a lead, right? Sales will say, I'm not going to do sale. I'm not going to accept that lead unless it has, you know, this criteria you as a marketer, you probably do this. If you have marketing animation, any kind of lead scoring or lead grading, you're already having to figure that out. What is my definition of a lead that gets it more score or a better grade? to the point that it reaches a certain score. Then I pop it over to sales. So you're already doing it. You just have to get consensus. And the biggest reason you're doing that is to overcome the common objections, right? And the common objections, again, are sales are going to say your leads suck. That's the biggest objection you get all the time. And so if you can go back and say, well, according to the SLA, this is what you said you wanted. And this is what we did. And true story. We literally went through this, two days ago here at vanilla soft. So uh, we have, like every company does, we have a sales team, we have SDRs, we have AEs, we have our own marketing generated leads. um, But then we have an outsourced agency we use for additional leads. And um, and some of the sales reps, the AEs were pushing back on uh, the quality. I know nobody can relate to that, relate to this. This never happens in your organization <laughs> where, you know, the sales was pushed back on the outsourced lead provider in the appointment center. And, um, and so my RevOps guys were, who own the relationship were saying to me, you know, how do we respond to this? And I said, well, this, this is easy. Only because I've done this before. I'm like, what's that? I said, go back to the state, the statement of work we signed with them. And in the statement of work, they had a lead definition that we agreed to when we committed to engage with them both parties, no different than an SLA. And I yeah. went and I pulled it up and there was like five bullets, right? And the first bullet was an identified pain or need. Okay, well, we listened to all the recordings of all a handful of leads and none of them, did the prospect ever, or, or did the, or their sales rep ever ask or did the prospect ever share an identified pain? So yeah. we just went back to them and said, here's what you committed to, here's what we're paying for. We've listened to the recordings, I don't hear it. Do you? And of course, the response was, um, "We'll get back to you." (laughs) Right, but that's why you do it,
0: right? Just like with another company, just like internally, you know, I I often find it's expectations, right? And I was just talking about this, whether it's, you know, know, Treasure Impact here, any when you've got really good people, in your case, really good software and people, (laughs) then. It's, it's not, it's usually not, oh, the people messed up or the people did something terribly wrong or the software did. No, it's just expectations coming in. Did, you know, were they not aligned? And so I, I see that with sales too and with marketing. What are we expecting from each other? And just taking a second to say it before you react to it, you know, be proactive.
1: Let, let me give you another story on why you want to do this from a marketer's mm-hmm. point of view. And this is again, life lessons the hard way, all right? We've all been there, Casey, but love your take on this. Where we're missing our numbers. The quarter's coming up, we missed our numbers, right? And now we're in that post uh quarter analysis of introspection. What did we do wrong? How can we fix it moving forward? And you get marketing and sales in a and a finger pointing exercise. And what happens is marketing, a sales says marketing's leads sucked. I have already brought this up. But this is the point that happens nine times out of ten. The CEO will physically say, okay, marketing, you gotta get your act together. And you're going, but, but but, but, they didn't sell. But for whatever reason, there's a power, in many companies, there is a power structure, and in many companies, sales has more power than marketing. And when you have this disagreement, they, they default to the organization with more power, stronger, leader, whatever it might be. Sure. So what you want to do is you physically want, as a marketer, to say here are our expectations, right? And this is really important, that you will follow up in an hour on a, on a new lead. You will make you know, nine, 12, whatever attempts. They will be multi-channel because you don't know how they want to engage with you. Email, phone, social media, text message, who knows, right? And that you will use the agreed upon lexicon that we're talking about of of, of vocabulary and talking points in your communications and that marketing gets an approval process across all those uh, sales emails that are templated to make sure that the, the customer experience is the same. And the reason you do that is because when they, when you do miss your number and there's that power struggle, you can go back and say, well, wait a minute. We can debate whether your sales reps are talented sales reps. Fine, that's subjective. Do they know how to close? Do they know how to handle an objection? But I can see on average you're taking 4, 8, 12, 16, 36 hours. So about the average is 36 to 63 hours to respond to a brand new lead that marketing handles, handles to, hands to sales. And we can see how the SLA said you respond in an hour. And you agree to that. Because we know when you don't respond within an hour, the likelihood drops like a rock. We also see you're, you're averaging three attempts. Well, the stats say nine or 12. So statistically, you're already making me one third likely to succeed because you did three attempts instead of nine. If we agree in 12, the, likely, the likelihood of marketing succeeding, getting an ROI in that campaign is 25% because you didn't mm-hmm. make enough attempts. Oh, and we can see you only did email. You hid behind email because you're right. afraid of the phone, you're afraid and of call. social. Yeah. All right. But you agreed to this. Oh, look, when we listen to the call recordings, your reps are talking about crap that we don't do and they're off message. When you have that SLA, you can now audit sales. And that's the power. That's the power you have, especially because you own the tech stack. You can audit all this. And all of a sudden the CEO or the CFO is going, Whoa, this is new information. That's why you want the SLA to overcome the power objections. Power imbalances that often occur. You do that once, sales will give you a lot more respect. Not to mention management.
0: Wow! You know all this, Casey. Now you need some. You need like a plastic microphone. You can just. Bah. just go,
1: boom! Drop it. Yes, well, I can bring up my my, my podcasting microphone. Here, let me yeah, let me do this. Drop that.
0: God, boom! I can't imagine how expensive. Not that might quite be. the same. Yeah, exactly. Um, wow. Uh, so a couple follow-up questions um, from the chat and in, tie into this, because I, I love the, the idea of overcoming the power objections when it comes to aligning on the MQLs and the SQLs, you know, one of the, one of the people in the chat was talking about evolving those definitions. And mm-hmm. I love to just kind of, kind of Chuck you, I don't want to say a softball, but like a, one of those beach balls, again, a big question. I'll throw a bunch of stuff at you. The, the topic of MQL, SQL do you, do you evolve the definitions? Do you just set them in stone right away? And what happens if sales is like, we just want to talk to everyone? <laughs>
1: That's never happened to me. I don't know what
0: you're talking about. It's um, <laughs> like every time. Yeah, Not
1: every time. Uh, true. Total <laughs> sidebar. So do we have all the definitions and World of sales wants to talk to everybody? Hold that thought. Yeah. So we've just implemented a whole ABM model here and we've okay. gone to great lengths with Dr. Gartner and, I, and IDC and Topo, and Forrester, we've talked to all the vendors. We ultimately became a Terminus subscriber to their product. We've got, we've read the books. So we've done the whole thing. And we, you know, the, the premise is you're on every account on an ABM model, you're gonna have five large customers around 40 named customers and 500 industry customers. And the AE's working the five and the 40 and the SCR's working the
0: five. Wait, we do those numbers again? You breeze through them, but they're actually kind of- I know,
1: five large, and these are ballparks, five large accounts. I think of them as your whales. Yeah. 40 named accounts. These are really the, the sweet spot because every named account is going to have between five and 10 contacts, typically on average. So it adds up pretty fast. And then 500 industry accounts. So these are, you know, again, the next level down. The AE is going to focus on the five and the 40. The SDRs are working the 500. And when they get the 500 qualified, then they're going to or SQL. They're going to flip it back to the AE. Now, is and that per organization
0: or per, per rep? Per rep. Wow. Per so, rep, right? Your big company. How many? How many people in the in the company?
1: 70 uh, we're 40? seventy-five people.
0: Seventy-five. Okay.
1: Yeah. Okay. So, um, and the point was, I had uh, we'd done a lot of work in making these lists. Like a lot of black magic gone into it. Technographics, firmographics, you know an evaluation of why do we win? Why do we lose? And all that went into the filters to create this list. Uh, and it was cross referenced with content. What do we have case studies to support targeting these people, blah, blah, blah. I had a rep, which is out to me yesterday. You know, I really like this one account. I don't like the list that we've come up with for me, my five, my 40. And I just wanna focus on this one account. So I'm just gonna focus on this one account. <laughs> so you said, you know, what do you do when the rep wants to do their own thing? I had that happen yesterday. I just want to focus on one account. And I was going to land and expand, I'm going to do. And I'm like, oh, you're an idiot. So there we go. <laughs> did you say that? So, did you, did you that? Uh, I will be. I, I literally had a conversation with him and I said, I'll get back to you. Because sometimes <laughs> you, you you're, when you're wise, you learn to say, I need to walk away while I bang my head against the wall and come back and, and I'm better equipped to, to do the answer. So, so do the leads do the lead definitions evolve? Absolutely. And, and they evolve for a very simple reason, very simple reason, which is you're learning more as you sell more, especially in the new markets. So again, I'll give you a really simple example. We're a sales engagement platform. We're just like sales often outreach, Different markets. It was some different feature sets, but functionally, you do the same thing. We allow the SDRs to really go after their prospects and email, phone, social, et cetera. And you're at better volume. than those guys? Is that,
0: is that correct?
1: We're better at those guys in our, in our markets. Sure. You know, in our markets. Those guys, they rock in enterprise accounts, medium to enterprise, and 90 plus percent of their base is all high tech. Okay. But we're more what we call traditional industries, finance, healthcare, insurance, and we're more SMB. And the yeah. SMB needs are very different from the enterprise high tech needs. High tech is an early adopter. They're usually VC funded, so they have more money. They usually, they're, they're less risk averse to technology. They're tech savvy, so they know how to be self-managed, self serve. In traditional markets, not the case. SMB, right. a lot of risk. You know, a lot of, you know, we're going to walk, and then we're going to run. Right.
0: So it's a different Still thing. Still trying to get people to log tasks and You got it. You nailed and- it. So
1: right, like- we... Th- that's what we, we do, and what was really interesting about that, as we do our, our own lead definitions, was literally that. So I'll give you a stupid, stupid example. In the insurance industry, we don't refer to ourselves as leading uh, sales engagement at all. We are not sales engagement. We're lead management, because they don't know the term sales engagement, but they know lead management. So that's my point is that your vernacular and what you're learning, you know, they didn't start off that way. We started off being sales engagement and insurance. And when people get so like, what the hell are you? I don't know what that is. is Who are you? Why do I care? I've got Excel, go away, click. Right. And that literally was what it was. But the point is, you do learn these things. One of the things we learned was that we don't have the same number of integrations that they have, sales law and outreach has, uh, which is intentional. But what does that mean? That means that we had to, we learned through the evolution of a lead to score differently because it was like, oh, you've got Microsoft Dynamics as your CRM. Well, we, <laughs> we don't have an out-of-the-box integration with Dynamics. We can do it with Zapier or something else. But that's going to be, we know later on, that's going to be a pain in the ass. We're we'll going to have to overcome or have to prove it going to have get the our sales techs involved, it's going to prove the concepts, and there's a good chance we'll still lose the deal because it's not native integration. So all of a sudden, we drop the lead score dramatically when it's Dynamics. Oh, your Salesforce, boom, bump that up. We didn't initially do that. Initially, we had oh, you have CRM. There no so all the the lead definitions, how you score expectations will evolve as you get smarter and smarter. Even when we built our list. In one of the things we did for like our software industry, I said, I only want to go after companies who have Salesforce as a, uh, as a CRM. If you have HubSpot, I don't want to go after you. If we can do it, I just don't want to go after you. Right. You have Dynamics, I don't want to do it. If you have Pipedrive, I don't want to do it. Just Salesforce, because we have a sweet-ass integration. I'm gonna give my reps the highest chance of succeeding. Right. Again, that's what you learn, that's why they evolve. Now, your second question was, what if they want to do Go after they want to go after, that's probably your SLA. Your SLA says that you agree on what um, the reps will do. So, for example, in our case, because we've gone all in on account based marketing now, the SLA had to be updated to say that the reps will pursue their named and their large accounts, and the SDRs will handle just their industry accounts. That's it. Right. Their ABM. Now, if marketing gets an inbound lead because of our generic demand generation efforts and it's MQL, then we flip it over the wall and then it goes through the traditional process. That's okay. But I don't want you picking up the phone and calling somebody because you've got a hunch that they're going to be good for us. Mm -hmm. I need you focus. If you're not focused, I'm going to lose. We had to update the SLA to reflect that. The reason you do that is, again, for accountability so that if you miss your numbers and they want to go back to marketing and blame marketing, you can say, well, listen, I'm looking at this and your AEs are all over accounts that are not on their target lists. in my case, or, or the list that we agreed to, or the, or the profiles that we agreed to. So, you know, that's a problem. You're holding me accountable. And the reality sure. is because they're so busy chasing those deals, they were delinquent. They were late in chasing my leads that I provided that were MQL mm. based on our defined lead generation and our target markets you couldn't do it, or you couldn't make the number of outreach attempts, or you couldn't respond fast enough because they were distracted. In the end, it comes down to the two leaders being mature enough to accept responsibility. How I do that is this is really, this is honest to God true how it works, is I will go to my VP of sales when I was a CMO, and I'm gonna say, listen, we have our quarterly or monthly you know number review, um, and yes, we underperformed, these are the observations I found, so I don't surprise them in the meeting. And I would say your reps are doing shit they shouldn't be doing.
0: <laughs> and I would right. Give it,
1: right, and I would give it to them. And what they have is they have a chance to refute me, or but more than likely what they're going to do is going to go, "Damn, you're right," because it's all logged in Salesforce right. <laughs> or Pardot or wherever else. It's all logged. It's there. Right. Or Vanilla. So, um, so now what they can do is they can go, mia culpa." Now, when we go into that meeting, because the meetings are going to take place, instead of me being a dick and going, yeah, 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 we're good. It's he's bad. We're going to be a team. And saying, yeah. yep, we have some issues. We've already talked about it. This is the root cause. This is the plan to address it. We've got a plan. Won't happen next quarter. And that, I've got your back. Yeah. earns so much goodwill. Because because one day marketing you're going to screw up, yeah, and then sales is going to have your back because they're going to call out what you did wrong. And you're going to go, oh. So that's how it starts. You got to yeah. earn trust and build a relationship. But the it's SLA like is of, the arbiter.
0: Getting out of kindergarten sports, you're not like, oh, are you? yeah, Legos and this. You're like, you, you, it's a cycle because then then you're yeah. pissed and you want to get them back next time. Instead, you you defeated that by letting them save face by saying, hey, heads up, this and this and this, and then. Let them show some leadership by saying, "This is not going to happen again, guys." That not going to do. You know, what a great um, approach to it. Um, out of the ordinary.
1: Well, it's a selfish approach, candidly. It is a good approach, but it's a selfish approach. You're doing it really well, selfless you know, too. Pya, selfish and selfless. Now, Logan, I love your comment. Are we sharing this with the Ben team? So, true story. I was on a webinar <laughs> not too long ago, we're having this con- a conversation like this, and I made a comment about one of my reps um actually it wasn't a webinar sorry it was a sales call true <laughs> so sarah brazier if you don't know her from gong dynamite AE, formerly an SCR, she's got a lot of play she calls me brilliant play like she gets she uses morgan ingram to send me a linkedin video message to say you two need to talk and that was the referral so of course i'm going to take her call and i'm like sure i know sarah and we're, we're, so we we meet up and we're having this qualification conversation about us possibly becoming a gong customer and uh, in that dialogue, I made a comment to her, which was, you know, I've got this one sales rep who just talks so slow. Oof. And because they're kind of a verbal thinker and they're a very good sales rep, but they talk like this and the industry they're in is a, it's full of hustlers. We move fast, really. And, and when I've been yeah. at some of their calls, you can see the prospect is like clenching. And it's like, get to the point. Right. So I said, you know, Gong would help us because I could then show that as a behavior. So that was an example. So we concluded the call. It was a brilliant call. She sent me a follow up email. It was an amazing email. And I, I had asked her if she could include a copy of the recording for me to refresh myself. She did. The call, she did such a great job in that call. That's actually why I asked for a copy of the recording that I sent it to my team to say, listen to this call this yeah. is what you should be doing forgetting that i had talked about this one rep who was a slow talker and i said "Put it, everybody listen to oh, it no <laughs> and on friday at our weekly end of week review we'll review it and we'll share our thoughts on it and on thursday i get a message from this rep saying hey daryl listen to the recording point made i'll talk faster and i'm like oh uh, sugar <laughs> but you know what? It was a coaching moment and they needed to hear it. So yeah, there you go.
0: Person are talking faster. Uh, I haven't listened to his recordings lately. I sure we'll as hell hope check so on that after this. Yeah. The up with you? Well, thank you.
1: Dan. Yes. <laughs> there you go. How to step into it big time.
0: Hey, we are just, just past halfway. So I want to throw a quick poll out to everyone. It's is a very important uh, question as it comes to sales and marketing alignment. And it is being posted. What is your favorite music genre? That's right. That's right. Because we just need to make sure you're still alive. This is proof of life, people. Proof of life. Are you alive? You can vote. And uh, yeah, the one that wins, wins. The one that doesn't win, we'll play that. We'll, you know, we won't play that music. That'd be terrible. Um, what kind of categories are these too? Where's Bachata? Come on. Where Where's my where's my Latin tunes? All right, alternative, old time rock and roll. Okay, a uh, few more seconds. We have a few more people that have not voted. We're gonna kick you out of the meeting if you don't vote. Kidding, not kidding. <laughs> All right, here we go. The results, alternative. Alternative, right
1: on, that's a good choice. Although it? none of the above, really again, a strong
0: showing. You know, what, what is alternative technically? Yeah. You know, it's not
1: mainstream; it's alternative. What are you? Stupid? Oh,
0: Pearl Jam. Okay, so basically, music from the nineties. <laughs> Nirvana. It's, yeah, nineties. Nineties yeah. high school music. Got it. Okay. <laughs> Sweet. All right. Well, hey, we are. There's a lot of stuff to, and we had a lot of chit chat in the chat. Hey, imagine that. A lot of chit chat in the chat. And a lot of it was around technology.
1: Killers, sorry. Got to give a shout out to the killers. I saw them in concert at Dreamforce. Amazing. Oh, sorry. Me
0: too. I was there. Where were you? Were you, were you up front with me? Uh, I don't remember you up front.
1: You, you were the one surrounded by the entourage, right?
0: Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't me. <laughs> I was wearing a mask so someone, no one would know Mr. Marketing Automation was there. Um, no, they're great. They wear like suits Love and stuff though. I didn't even, even realize. At Las you, Vegas. There we go. Yeah, that's what, um A Gen Xer who loves really Gen eyeless Gen Xer. Am I lame? No, you're not lame because you're here no. on this webinar. That makes you not lame automatically by by proxy. You are not lame. <laughs> hey, I am.
1: In a week's time, I'm going to be 53, and I listen to EDM. So come on, there we go. How bad is that?
0: I didn't realize you were that young. Shush, shush <laughs> you. Well, hey, technology. By the way, this is fantastic, and I love. And I, I do want to. Save some time at the end to talk about this sort of CRO takeover. But, real yep. quick, let's talk about technology. And um, by the way, if you haven't already checked those here, there's some great shares going on. And I don't want to necessarily read them, incriminate anyone on the uh, recording, but there's some really cool stories on the chat. Uh, and then our, our resident um, stand up comic, uh, Logan Childs, is, is there as well, um, throwing down the heat. So, questions on technology. Um, some of the things mentioned earlier were. I, th- you know, I think we're aligned, so let's just assume we we've got some kind of SLA put together. How do you make sense? And now you are CRO, you are owning sales, are owning marketing, and you are a sales enablement company yourself. So how, how do you approach the tech space? How do you make sure that things are lining up the way they should?
1: In the way is the tech choices, or how I prioritize, or detect, or or what we prior- yeah, or we prioritize more, or what.
0: A lot of people will pick a tool as like a silver bullet to uh, instantly Uh, solve their problems. And then you end up with a really cool looking tech stock. You can, you can uh, brag about on LinkedIn, but you're using like 20% of each one of those tools. I don't know. Do you you have an approach and how you direct your teams and how do you look at those tools um, and developing them?
1: So we look, I mean, so I mean, just in, in a classic side, been around a long time. I've, I've lived through a few generational shifts. 52 years
0: of marketing, yeah.
1: Uh, 52, not all in marketing, not all in marketing. Uh, I, I think the word I'm looking for right now, Casey, is butt wipe, I'll let you figure that one out. <laughs> um, so, you can either go to a single stack solution, which is the, the genesis of ERP, like an yeah. Oracle or an SAP, or you can go to a federated solution, all right? There's, some am showing my age, Where mm. which is kind of best of breed. Uh, for most companies, federate is the way you go because you kind of, you do a piecemeal approach, right? It's like, oh, we need a CRM. And you go get whatever you can afford is usually the number one driving yeah. thing, right? So for many young companies, they'll go either Pipedrive or, Zo- or Zoho or, or HubSpot. Yeah. Um, and then they're in it a little bit and they're going to go, oh, we need marketing automation now because we need to do some, you know, some landing pages and some email nurtures and some scoring. And so, you know, that goes on. Oh, you know, support, we need some, some support and, and it's all ad hoc. So that's good for a little bit. How we approach it though, trying to avoid that mistake, knowing that's the process we go through, you can actually preempt a lot of your headaches to start with. Uh, if you take one simple approach, which is if they, when I evaluate tech, I look at it from two points of view. Who are the users and what do those users specifically need to optimally be successful? And because I approach it this way, that automatically also discounts ERP because ERP is not good at any one thing. It's just one backbone. Um, And the second point is I, I look at what's the integration options because I need to reduce my costs to do with us custom integrations or, you know, some funky stuff to represent our processes down the road. So I'm always looking at it from a, a user adoption, adoption, who's the user and will they adopt it? And I'm looking at it from a, uh, what's my long-term ability to, to thread all these pieces together. Cause I know I'm going to get more add-ons as time goes by. So a good example of that's what we've done here at VanillaSoft. And it's got an interesting postscript, which is, you know, we did, for 15 years we've had VanillaSoft as the solution that we use in sales as a whole. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've had HubSpot for four years on our marketing automation. That was, uh, that was a choice that was made based on price. Um, we did not choose say a part solution because we weren't using Salesforce. So we went with more of a best of breed. Then we got Zendesk for support. And then we got churn zero for success. Then we got NetSuite for finance. Um, And that worked well for a while. So each department was best in class, and they were able to use it. What was good for us on HubSpot, and Pardot's probably very comparable in this situation, candidly. I'm a big fan of Pardot as well. It's not a Pardot versus HubSpot thing. I like like both, I've used both, I've implemented both. Um, But it was, in other words, what it wasn't, is it wasn't Marketo. It wasn't Eloqua. It was exactly what I needed for. It was sophisticated enough but not so much that it was overwhelming, complex and overkill. Mm -hmm. So I was looking at being nimble. And every one of those tools we picked was about being nimble and being affordable and budget friendly and being able to be used and deliver a level of service that would allow us to do our job without requiring massive infrastructure. So that's how we kind of look at it, usability and the cost ROI. Um, Usability being huge. And then only recently when we went to ABM, was that the final catalyst that said, okay, I now need a true CRM. So we got salesforce.com. And more than anything, it's simply, it's two things it does for us. That's where my account executives and only my account executives live. That's it. And now I got all my pieces integrated into it because I knew one day I would get here. And so now they're all integrated. So now it's my corporate database. It's my corporate backbone. I can now measure a customer experience from cradle to grave without using a whole bunch of back end, you know, without using Airtable, without using Zapier, without using, you know, yeah. a bunch of Google Sheets, I could actually just go to one spot. So I had to evolve to that. It's the point I'm trying to make, as budgets allowed, as sophistication allowed. The other thing we did, big emphasis on this, was, was we documented all of our processes so that if any one of us ever got hit by a bus, the next person could replace them. Cause when you're running lean, you know, they're the, they're the Pardot person or they're the Zendesk yeah. person, right? And when if they change jobs, I don't know, I, I, we gotta have a webinar, how does that work again? I don't know. So right. it was in my own right. best interest to make sure everything was fully documented, which was fantastic because sometimes you have one of your employees go a maturity leave. Okay, what are you gonna do? Here's the SOPs. But that's how we approached it, very much pragmatic user options just enough features and functions to get the job done budget friendly but with a long-term view of allowing us to scale does yeah. that make sense at all would you it's is uh, that a bad approach I,
0: I, no i feel like the evolution is a is one of the key takeaways i'm getting from this whole thing NQLs are evolving our, our understanding of our customers evolving uh, the technology needs to be able to evolve with us um and i, I really kind of i want to shift now to the bigger evolution um, I want to first get to your story because you're running marketing when we first met, and then you became the CRO, which is this sort of almost in this new term uh, that's getting really popular lately. But you you took over everything on the <laughs> revenue side, um, which sounds exciting because you came from the marketing side. I know you've got the sales experience too. So I'd love to hear that story, and then from there, let's let's get into um, after that talking about. You know, SDR, BDR, where do they fit, and then how do you sure. oversee the whole organization? What do you want to know? Ask me your questions. Okay. Otherwise, so, I'll just ramble nonstop. Running marketing. T- uh, tell me, Grand Grandpappy, how did it work that uh, you went from running marketing to running everything? How, okay. How did you? How did, you make how it did I get
1: there? So, uh, I mean, s- full disclosure, I never once put my hand and set out and said, "Make me CRO." That never once happened. Uh, I want to be CRO. I want to have a bigger kingdom. That never happened. Um, What did happen, because I was CMO, uh, C-level, that right away says, and if you will, the difference between it, I would would contend, the difference between a VP of marketing and a CMO is a VP of marketing focuses around their team. The CMO runs their team, but has oversight for the bigger organizations. In other words, I know that if success or support do a bad job, those customers are likely to go to Captera or G2, or Google, and write a bad review, which is then gonna affect our sales ability to close a deal, and that's bad customer experience. So as a CMO, I can go to those other teams and say, you suck, and championing the overall customer experience, you need to fix that. VP marketing typically wouldn't do that. So I already had that eyesight, that visibility. yeah into that corporate mandate, right? I can look at it across teams. And you should be. Uh, too many marketers, kids, here's my lesson for you today. Don't just look like this. Look at how the rest of the organization works and how you influence them and how they influence you. And be aware. And don't be afraid to express yourself And because and, and, we all love somebody who's proactive yeah. um, in a constructive, tactical way. So we were missing our targets. We were doing good numbers. That I don't want to confuse the two you can have great results and still underperform against expectations. Either your expectations were wildly wrong or they weren't and you underperformed. And so this had happened for probably a year and a half. And at the year and a half mark, I went into the CEO's office and I said this, I said, we're underperforming. I, Guess what, full circle here kids, I have an SLA. I know I'm doing my job. So you're busting my behind for the money we're spending in marketing and looking for an ROI, but I have no control on the sales team and how well they close or follow their defined processes. So I'm in here saying, we have a problem, CEO, what are we gonna do? And eventually that led to us bringing in some external consultants to help us revise our sales processes and recruitments. Big names, lots of money spent, all you would recognize. And then we brought in a sales expert for over a year to work with us alongside us and our leadership and our, our individual reps. And while that all had positive impacts, you know, the bottom line was we kept on missing our targets. So they had to make a decision. Do we replace the VP of sales with another VP of sales? Do we do it internal or do we go external? Mm-hmm. and uh, I can go <laughs> try to think how much I can share here. There were right. reasons There were reasons why they chose me specifically. I sure. uh, think the, the best of it was they felt I already knew the market, they felt on my sales background, they felt I knew marketing inside out. And here's the best part, they felt I'd proven myself. What I heard over and over again internally, and it's from the external consultants as well, is that the marketing team hands down was was a a rock star. They were just performing and achieving. So they were hoping I could repeat that over here and it's an opportunity cost. If we hire somebody externally, then me and they have to figure it out all over again. New SLA, new everything else. They need to learn the product. They need to learn the market. Whereas you bring me in, then all that's gone. I've never been a CRO before. I've been a VP of sales, but never a CRO. So that was a risk. But anybody you hire is a risk, whether you're outside or inside. So that was an acceptable risk. Um, And then what happened was my CEO floated it to me to saying, would you be willing to do this? Now, about a year before that, I had, when I was still frustrated, I said, if for whatever reason, you want to do somebody internally to help with sales, I am not asking for the job, but I am telling you that I'm willing to be called upon, I'm here. So I did plant a seed, mm. and, and then I walked away. And at the time, my CEO's reaction was, he almost laughed at me, not laughed derisively, but like, oh, right. marketing <laughs> guy, silly marketing. you're so <laughs> cute, right? <laughs> right. Uh, so fast forward a year, and, and here we are. And, and even then, that decision was made with the whole process of, Daryl, if we give you this job. So it's like a job interview all over again. Mm-hmm. What's your plan? You need to present to us your 90-day plan if we give you this job. Right. So I had to do a 90 day plan. And I also gave to them my expectations. It wasn't just a, a walk in the park, you know, let's talk compensation. Let's talk, you know, what are the rules of engagement because I want different rules of engagement than what my VP of sales had. So we had a negotiation and away we go. So, wow. And the one thing that was really specific is my CEO was like, Daryl, I need you to be a CRO. I do not need you to be a VP of marketing or a VP of sales. I need you to go back to those positions, but we need somebody who will unite the families and hold the whole revenue machine accountable. That was very powerful. The, many CEOs don't understand that. Yeah. First thing I did in my 90-day plan was I said, I'm going to make a sales enablement team. I need to staff that. I said, I'm going to make... A revenue operations team. We had sales operations and marketing operations. I'm going to make a single rev ops team. We had to staff that. I changed the complete ratios of the staff, the sales staff. I brought in a lot of new roles we didn't even have before. And to do all that, though, because my budget was fixed. You're thinking about well, Daryl. I don't have that freedom. You have a lot of freedom. Remember, I'm not VC funded. I, I'm, I, I'm living off the profit that we make. I am right. not a unicorn. So. I had to move marketing dollars to hire these people. So my marketing spend dropped so I could hire certain people. If I was the CMO, I would have said, go to hell. You're not getting any of my (laughs) program
0: spend, right?
1: Right? But because I'm the CRO, I can now move all the pieces on the board. And that's actually why I took the job because I knew there'd be no friction.
0: Right. Wow. And that's powerful. It sounds like it all goes back to the beginning when we were talking about the SLAs and marketing being squared away with the agreement, the peace treaty that's worked out says X, and then making sure as hell that you're doing your part of it. That's it. Like, that really just flips the script. I mean, you hear about so many marketers that get bounced um, when companies are doing poorly and-
1: they get Yeah, they get bounced and then they whine and then they complain and they said, they don't get marketing. I wasn't given a fair chance, you know, sales has all the power. Well, there could be some elements of truth, but you also brought a lot of this on yourself because you didn't do some basic things like this. Hmm.
0: Wow, this is really, I I could see more and more marketers becoming CROs by listening to this. This is very, now now let's get into sales enablement here. By the way, those are with hard stops, thanks Lisey and others for, uh, for coming recording we're going to go until your questions are answered so my questions are answered this is great great content here um sdr bdr are they the same they have different letters um i've i seen other name BizDev team um where where should they live who are they where should they live and then after that i was talking about sales enablement
1: uh so in my world the sdr and the bdr is just a naming definition and uh, you can pick whatever one you want to. They're, they're yeah. fundamentally identical. Others may have a different point of view, but that's that's my perspective. Um, and then you have the account executive role, which is pretty straightforward, self-explanatory. Um, where should the SDRs live? Okay, I've done webinars on this. My strong opinion is they should live under marketing. Now, in my current structure, I haven't moved them because I am CRO, so I kind of own the whole thing, so I'm indifferent the reason if I had a VP sales and I had a VP in marketing and they were peers and that was it, I put them in marketing. And the reason I would do that is because marketing is already doing a qualification process. It's called a marketing qualified lead. Mm-hmm. Why would I split up the qualification process? All right. Put them in marketing. So now I'm going from marketing qualified to sales qualified. And cause they're going to use content. They're going to use messaging. They're going to be writing a lot of emails and cadences. Well, those are all marketing skills. And in fact, I have a lot of SDRs come to me and tell me how my subject lines suck and how their open rates are fantastic (laughs) and how, you know, you know, my emails are not readable on mobile or whatever, right? I never used to get that feedback. I don't have AE saying that, but I have SDRs saying that, which I love when I get that. Then I educate them and tell them they're wrong, but that's an aside. Um, So I think they're going together. But with that said, if you have a healthy organization, like we just talked about the SLAs and everything else, then they can go along in sales, and that's fine. The issue where you're gonna be stuck is that everybody who becomes an SDR secretly wants to be an account executive.
0: Yeah, there's actually a question in the chat asking that exact thing. What yeah, do there when we go, see, I didn't even see that. Yeah,
1: yeah, so that they all want to become an account executive, and, and therefore they think marketing is a negative. I don't want to be there. So in an, an ideal world, pre-COVID, what I would say, uh, and I have said this on record many times, is that you put the SDRs under marketing, but, you put them beside the salespeople on the floor. Mm. So they can be part and parcel of the revenue banter and whatnot, they can develop those relationships. Um, That's really, really important. And the beauty is then they become a bit of a plant. So they can say, well, did you know marketing's doing this guy? Did you know marketing has a new content piece? Because even though marketing's told them, they they didn't miss it, they didn't hear it, right? And then it goes the other direction. They come back and say, oh, I heard, you know, sales user content and it it sucked. Or sales use our messaging, (laughs) and they're spies. I call them ambassadors, delegates. Yes, yes. Um, Ambassador. So that's in a perfect world. That's how that happens. Uh, because the SDRs truly need to have marketing skills. That's the best part. So, But they do want to become AEs. The problem is too many of them are so focused on becoming an AE that they don't learn to become a good SDR first. Mm-hmm. And then they get frustrated because they're not ever promoted to become an AE. Um, so they're, already, they're looking too far ahead. So if you're really an SDR and you're listening, just practice your craft. Yeah. Um, again, Sarah Brazier of Gong is a good example. There's a ton of them out there that are amazing. Um, Morgan Ingram, you know the the whole the SDR Chronicles, uh, uh, David Delaney, Ten Bound, all these guys are people resources should be going to learn how to do your craft better. So yeah. that's the roles, and
0: Man. there you go, brother. What's next on your on your, on your question list? Boom, boom. Um, well oh, 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 sales enablement. That's next. So if Here's a twist. If technically we would put SDR with marketing, isn't sales enablement tool a technique? And if they use that, isn't really a marketing enablement tool?
1: Well, you can argue that. And that would be an interesting point of view. Um, and I would suggest that many, and I, I would push it back to you. Uh, how many times have you seen your prospects? I know you are like a part rock star and a marketing, you know, savant. Yes, yes Where they try to shoehorn a marketing automation tool to do sales engagement, to do those sales cadences. It's a pain in the arse. It truly is a pain in the arse, right? So, and the reason is, we can go into it, but the reason is, you know, marketing automation is really designed for one to many. It's really designed primarily just for email uh, and nothing else. Um, And it's designed for top of funnel to middle of funnel, typically. And the messaging value props are so different. So, when you do the handoff in middle of the funnel down to the SDRs, it's different content. It's multi channel, phone, social, video, SMS. Um, it's a one to one relationship because now we're getting personal. Now I'm getting to know you, Casey. I'm developing yeah. a rapport with you, not some nameless person. Or even though marketing may send an email from Daryl, we all know Daryl didn't write it. And we all know Daryl right. didn't send it, right? Um, so, it's a different dynamic. So, to me, the perfect tech stack is uh, it's, it's, you know, it's a pyramid and it's in three layers and it's pretty straightforward. Uh, I'm going to do marketing automation on the bottom because that's, I'm hitting the, the biggest bunch of people. That's where I'm reaching out. And I have all yeah. different markets and whatnot. And then as they become MQL, uh, and, and so the marketers use marketing automation and as they go to become MQL, I go to the middle of the pyramid and that's where sales engagement is. And they're trying to turn that MQL into an SQL. The best example, the simplest example is Bant. I'm calling you, I get a hold of you because it was an MQL. And I'm determining, do you have budget authority, need, you know, uh, technology timeline, whatever. So, and that's where your SDRs, BDRs live. And if it is is SQL, then it goes to the top. There's only a few make it to the top. And that's becomes opportunities. And they usually live in a CRM system like Salesforce Mm -hmm. and the AEs live there. So the AEs need a tool that will help them create opportunities and work the opportunity and forecast it. They need a very, that's a very different tool from sales engagement, which is about multi-channel engagement with a set cadence Mm -hmm. over a set number of times, which is then a different tool again from marketing automation. Each department has a different role and objective and are measured by different, you know, uh, metrics. uh, And therefore you need a different tool for the job. So that's kind of the process.
0: And it ties back into your Your earlier conversation around tech and who's going to use it, yeah, what's successful for them? You got it. You you definitely can see, you know, things things go wacky when you try to make, you know, sales engagement or, you know, some kind of sales enablement tool to be your everything, marketing automation, everything. And then, or, or the vice versa, you're trying to make one of these tools be everything for everyone. It can get kind of wacky.
1: Well, it's still different. You know, how did marketing automation come to me in the first place? Well, we tried to do marketing out we tried to do marketing out of CRM, huh. and it sucked.
0: <laughs> Anyone who's right? ever tried to send an email out of Salesforce, it's like. Yeah, oh, hmm.
1: well, yeah, don't get me going on that, right? So yeah. you get the idea. It, it, these evolve because they have different requirements. And it was interesting, if you look long-term, let me prognosticate, you know, fundamentally, marketers don't live in CRM anymore. Maybe they go in and can sure. set up campaigns, but they yeah. really don't do jack squat and CRM other than maybe see a dashboard. All right. They live in marketing automation. They may live in other complementary tools, you know, SEM rush or what have you, but they're they're marketing automation. Um, The same is true for account executives. They live in, you know, CRM and the SCRs live in sales engagement. But what I think is going to happen, just like, marketing has left CRM and CRM is just a database for them, a repository, a central backbone, you're going to see sales engagement expand to do the entire sales process. So ultimately, I think within five years, you won't see sales in CRM and, and you'll see marketing, continuing marketing automation. Now that doesn't mean they're not, those those pieces aren't owned by Salesforce <laughs> right. or Dynamics. Let's, don't confuse the two, but you're seeing the platforms evolve that this person needs a very specific process. And Salesforce has got a lot of issues for an actual account executive, right? How many times, you know, half the reason a rep only makes two or three attempts and gives up um, is because if you log into Salesforce, you've just got this massive list of tasks and it's overwhelming. And you're like, yeah, I'm not going to call them. I'm not going to call them. I'll call them. And then right. up it comes and now you got to sure. make a pass. Uh, I'll, I'll, at the end of the day, I'll go record all my stuff I did. Right? And, but you never do. Gotcha. Right? So sales engagement gets rid of all that. And that's why it was created in the first place.
0: Boom. There it is. Um, last question because I know we're going a little over, over time here. we still got some uh, diehards still in the room. By the way, if anyone still has a question, definitely chat it now or I throw this last one to Daryl so we can get yours too. Otherwise, forever hold your peace or email us afterward. (laughs) Uh, What is one lasting takeaway you would like to leave with our audience based on what we've discussed today? What a great question.
1: I'll give you, I'll I'll remind you of something I've already said, but then I'll give you a a, a specific takeaway. Bonus. Uh, Yeah, so I'll remind you that if you you want a, a career in marketing and you want to scale, you want to climb the ladder, you'll never do it by being an expert at just what you're doing today. So you need to understand how the whole marketing team works. Don't assume you're an expert, that's your kiss of death. But you need to understand how the pieces work. And you need to understand how the other teams work. So take a sales rep out to lunch. Buy them a coffee, do whatever you wanna do. Meet on a patio and drill them with a lot of questions. Understand their jobs. If you really wanna be successful, go be a sales development rep for a month or two or six. And then you can go back. I've done both. Remember, I ultimately went back to marketing Mm -hmm. for the last 10 years before I took on the CRO role, but I have done both. And that allowed me to be a better marketer because I knew when I did a campaign what the sales reps would and wouldn't react well to. Um, So that's, you know, understand the bigger picture and how all the pieces were together, but really understand the revenue machine. Um, But the one piece of advice I'd give you, I literally just gave this piece of advice to my son, my 25 year old son is doing very well in their career, but I gave him this advice today. I said, uh, learning is earning. And what you need to understand is it's not emphasis, not the responsibility of your employer to equip you with more skills. If they do that, that's nice, that's generous, that's a bonus, that's a perk. You should be grateful and appreciative, but that is not incumbent upon them. They're paying you, it's an exchange of money for services. You're doing what you're doing now, they give you money, it's a trade. They can keep on doing that forever and a day and they'll be just fine, but you won't get promoted. So if you truly want to get better and to have more opportunities and to scale that career, then you need to take the time to read, to consume, to watch, like you're doing right now in this webinar. But not just do that, because anybody can just, you know, listen to Tony Robbins, you actually have to apply the lessons and see if they make a difference. You have to do. And the best thing is we marketers are so conditioned from the beginning to A, B test everything. Treat every new lesson you learn when you go to the do part as an A, B test. I I used to do it this way and now I'm gonna try doing it this way. How are the results? Did it work, did it not work? Oh, it kind of worked. Well, maybe I need to take that away. And now that becomes A, and now I'm gonna do a B and iterate. And then you learn and you expand. And then all of a sudden you go, Oh my goodness, now that I understand this, I've done it a few times and I've measured it. Now I can start to see how I can apply this elsewhere. So if you want to scale, my advice to you learning is earning. That's how it will change your life. And just you can't just talk about it, you gotta do it.
0: Wow. Is that good? Are you okay? That's great, man. Thank you. Thank you for coming on here and sharing your wisdom with us. And this is the first time I've heard, I mean, it's really kind of cool. Not that sales needs to lose because we're really all trying to win together, but this is the first time where that, that power curve, I've seen that be overcome on the marketing side and it wasn't through magic, right? You didn't do some like Game of Thrones ceremony to be able to assume the right? Like You were deliberate, you made agreements and then you stuck to them and then you measured and proactively looked to see if the other side was doing it too. And it really shows that there's a future for marketing being at the head of a whole organization.
1: It does. And and
0: so true true
1: story, Um, when we agreed that I would take on the role, now you'll love all of my marketers um, online here will love this. We had a discussion about how do we roll this out? How do we do our product launch of Daryl as CRO? right, for maximum ROI. And one of the things we talked about specifically was we acknowledged that my becoming a CRO with a primarily marketing background was going to resonate within the industry. It would appeal to many marketers who aspire for a similar role, and it would cause many sales people to look over their shoulders and go, oh, what's this all about? <laughs> Either way, it's gonna put eyeballs upon Vanilla Saw. And so we you know, we pitched that story intentionally mm-hmm. to, to generate. And it, it, it's amazing how much it has resonated. I And I do a lot of public speaking, but in the last three months, I, I bet you one in three times I'm on a webinar or a podcast or whatever, or an interview, it's about this. How did a marketer become a CRO? Um, what's really interesting is how things have changed. What I'm hearing now is people say that, you know, someone like myself represents the new CRO, you know, footprint. That, is, that is now the new uh, reference point that you got to have all these skills. And that, that is what I'm so excited about. There is an industry wide acknowledgement now that you physically should have in that role, sales, marketing and ops. Mm-hmm. So that gets me so jazzed. That gets me so pumped. And you're really seeing a revenue team come together now, right? It's not just sales and marketing. The overlap is getting more and more and more. So that's uh, it's an exciting time to be in our game. Uh, lots of opportunity. SDRs moving to marketing, marketing moving to SDRs. Uh, so exciting times.
0: Yeah. I could see you supporting that, that concept of go be a BDR for month, a year, whatever, get that my, experience in.
1: My first job at a school, because I was a programmer, many of you know, uh, but I didn't want to program. My first six months, I sold photocopiers door-to-door. Hated it. S- sucked at it. Learned so much. Yeah. And uh, and I pulled upon that. So, uh, yeah, having a little bit of sales experience is my point here, is – is invaluable it's a differentiator trust me when i look and i have cbs with cbs have recruiters look at me you know in years past they're like oh you got a sales background that's interesting that's (laughs) always what happens oh that's always interesting and your resume floats to the top you know here's the three finalists we're submitting for you to evaluate you know so it does it does help you out
0: wow man this is good stuff i appreciate you coming on here no problem man i'm really glad that you wore your like you know, What's that? You're looking very CRO-like. The comment in the chat was not your stereotypical three-piece suit sales guy who only thinks sales is tops.
1: Sales is tops, that's it. I mean, I, no, I don't, I'm, up <laughs> will be the first one to tell sales are not tops. And I'll be the first one to tell marketing they're not tops either, but uh, that's And In the end, so here's the funny part what people always forget, and this is the best part about being whether you're a VP of marketing or a CMO or a CRO, is, uh, is the only thing that changes is the degree. It's part of our compensation is on revenue. And that's the really important part. Why was I able to go in 18 months before this happened to my CEO? I didn't share that. Why was I, uh, that I was able to do that? Because a portion of my compensation, right? you have your, your, your base and then you have your bonus for OTE on track earnings. Yeah. It's based on revenue. Because of that, I am allowed to walk into the CEO's office and say, sales. Is messing
0: with my take-home pay. They are right. They are, and if you so, you're right. and if you hadn't been tagged in that, maybe you wouldn't have cared so much. It's not your, it's not your bag. Why do you step, step it into their yeah, correct. So know, that's something that marketing forgets sometimes. Yeah,
1: yeah, you're taking money out of my pocket. So that's the same reason you, as a marketing leader, have permission to challenge sales. When they say, I'll oh, go away. You know what you're talking about? Oh, brother. Oh, sister. Back back the truck up. Yeah. My And so part of that SLA, I didn't even talk about this part. Part of that SLA, you don't need to change number. You don't need to exchange specifics. But you do need, when well, you get it from your counterpart, or you go to HR, you go to the CEO, the CFO, you need to say, help me understand the framework of my counterpart's compensation. Well, this much is... Based on base, and this much is based on achieving these goals, and these mm-hmm. goals, these are all bonus. You need to know that because what they'll never tell you is when they're pushing back on you or they're challenging you, and you're like, I don't get it. They're blatantly wrong. What I'm saying is the right thing to do, and you know it is. Often it's because it's that bonus structure, oh. right? They're motivated it's a not with something
0: imp- else that's sort of influencing. Yes.
1: You. Yeah. So one of the things you need to do when you're part of the SLA is you need to understand how they're compensated because that's what's driving their behaviors.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's why those, those comps can get, can get funky that it's important to make sure they're the right thing because it, it will drive behavior. It does. It does.
1: Yeah. And if they're smart, they do the same on you. So,
0: yeah. True. you know, it, it, all's fair, love and war. And they find but out those are the, some of the
1: things that people don't think to do. And the funny part here is you think about it, folks, All of this is in your control. You Mm. can sit down with an SLA and craft one up. That's very reasonable. Why wouldn't you? It's not malicious. It's not Machiavellian. Let's make sure we're aligned, right? That's the premise. Who's going to argue with that? How are you compensated? I need to make sure that my decision-making gives you the highest probability of achieving your bonuses. Help me understand that. It goes both ways. You know, these conversations, they just have to be asked. If someone came to you and said, Help me, help, me, help me understand how you're bonus so I can make sure you get it. You're damn right you're going to share it with them.
0: Now you're right? my best friend. Let's do you're this. You're my best friend.
1: Right? So stop thinking of sales and marketing like, you know, oil and water. It's You're, you're, you're so close. You're so close. Yeah. The only thing difference, um, yeah, some skills are clearly different. Um, the biggest difference really is just timelines. Sales mm-hmm. is, you know, daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, boom, done. Marketing is like, I'm thinking six, 12, 18 months out. So that's the only true difference where you're going to stumble because sales wants up now and you know it's coming three months down the road and you mm-hmm. can't make it come any faster and they're impatient. Then that's just a knowledge sharing. And some people you can address it with, some people you can't. But yeah, the compensation is what you need to know. And compensation is what allowed me to go to the CEO. Oh,
0: There it is. Hey, um, closing up here, throw out some links. Uh, VanillaSoft, anything we should check out? Um, who should, what should we know about it? What should we link hey, to?
1: Yeah, so if, if you're an existing client of Sales Loft or Outreach or any other sales engagement solution today, we're a fantastic alternative. If your contract's coming up, give us a kick of the can. We'll save us some money. You might like the results. Hey, maybe we're not the right fit for you, but better off, maybe we are. You can find us at VanillaSoft.com. Uh, and it's as simple as that. I would suggest you follow me on LinkedIn. I'm fairly active there. Also active on Twitter. By the way, if you don't follow Casey on Twitter, you're missing out on some great stuff. You got to follow that cap on Twitter. So there you go. Thank you, Christina. Christina's got the the, the link right there. And of course, in the chat history, I, I think in the near the beginning of the session, I put my LinkedIn profile. Please click on that. Follow me. If you don't know what to do, if all else fails, go to Google. Type in the word Prail, and uh, the first hit you're going to find this is some distant relative I'm not aware of who killed their mother in the Canadian prairies. No, no idea who they are, but the rest of the hits will all be me, baby.
0: Wow. Now I'm curious. <laughs> what a memorable name oh, mm. thank you again, so much. And for those attending and anyone with questions afterward, hit up Daryl. Don't be a, a weirdo. Don't be a spammer. Say where you heard him. It was on the webinar, on the podcast. And um man thanks again Darren appreciate it
1: No problem guys you take care be good